Well, I'd like to say thank you again uh, for coming to what we hope is our first, and not our last, uh, conference on relationship. We, uh, the elders and I, uh, one of which is Jim here, just really believe that the, the area of relationship is vital not just to joy in life, but the ability to honor God and the ability to serve God. When your marriage breaks down and breaks up, it has a huge impact on your life. And so we want to do what we can to, to help people, first of all, to prepare ahead of time to so that they, they form good relationships, which, Lord willing, don't need to come into crisis. And then we want to help people restore and rebuild from that as well. So open your Bible to uh, 1 Peter 3, and uh, last uh, set of notes there. And uh, let's see what we can learn here. Last Sunday, one of our guest missionaries uh, was Chris Durier, who's going to be serving in Spain. And we were talking about learning, learning language. Uh, he has not studied Spanish yet. His wife actually has a college degree in Spanish, so it's not going to be so hard for her. But uh, they're going to work with some friends of ours, uh, Rich and Cindy Brown in Spain. And w- we had a chance to visit Rich and Cindy years ago. And Rich was talking about the challenge of learning Spanish. And he said one day he was talking about this, and there was like a five-year-old boy there, a Spaniard. And he looks at him and he said, Mr., what is the problem? You just open your mouth and it comes out. <laughs> you know, a lot of people think that that's the way marriage is. You come to the church, you say the words, you sign the deal, and it just happens. And of course, the reality is it does just happen. <laughs> but the question we want to ask is, is there a way that we can make sure that it happens in a good way? And, and so I just want to uh, emphasize one uh, element of being a disciple who is married, um, either for those of you who that are there or those of you that are looking forward, and that is... Uh, to say this, a perfect marriage is the product of two growing disciples in Jesus Christ. When I was in Bible college way back in the dark ages, it was not totally uncommon to hear somebody say, God told me it's his will for me to marry you. And when a guy would say that to a girl, sometimes she would go, well, okay, I guess if God said so, I better marry you. And then there's an assumption that goes with that, which is, well, we're both Christians and you said it was God's will, so it'll work. Now the truth is, any two Christians can have a joyful, happy marriage if they're growing. If they're growing. And so I want to talk to you about the the importance of growth. And uh, I'll start... uh, right here by saying God expects husbands and wives to grow in awareness. Uh, Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. First of all, what does God say toward the husbands? Husbands, dwell with them, and he's been talking about wives, so it's understood in the context. Dwell with them, with your wives, with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, being heirs together 
Let your prayers be not hindered. Dwell with your wife according to understanding. Now the word understanding here uh, in the King James is the word knowledge. And there's several words for, for knowledge or understanding in the New Testament, but this one seems to emphasize more of the pursuit of knowledge, the idea that you're growing in knowledge, that type of thing, rather than something you've already learned. And what's obvious here is God doesn't think the average husband comes into marriage knowing everything he needs to know about a wife. Is that rocket science or what? Can I get an amen, ladies, that are married? (laughs) Now, lest you uh, get too hard on the men, turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. In, in, in the book of Titus, uh, the Apostle Paul is telling t- Titus, who was a pastor, some of the things that are important in the church. And in chapter 2, he says, here are some things to teach certain people to do, in particular the older people. Now, older in that day wasn't, uh, you know, we talk about senior citizens today. Back in that day, people didn't live that many years. So he would be thinking really about people probably in my uh, advanced age of 57 here. As for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in sound in love and in patience, that the older women, likewise, they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish or teach the young women to love their husbands and love their children." One of the the things that I've heard over the years is God has to tell husbands to love their wives, but he doesn't have to tell wives to love their husbands because it comes natural for women. They're all about relationship. Well, I don't think that's what God thinks based on that passage because God says there are some things that the older women who have lived and grown and so on can teach the younger women about loving their husband and about loving their children. The, the summary is this, and again, not rocket science, but you need to think about it. God says husbands and wives got some learning to do. To be aware of what it's like and what, how can I love this other person. The word that's used here about, uh, in the King, New King James is translated admonish, or in the NIV the word is train the, the, and teach it literally means to be of a sound mind. I say through, and here's a place where this is used and we're, we're more familiar with it. I say through the grace given to me to everyone who's among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with a sound mind as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God says that women need to grow in the soundness of their thinking about men. doesn't say that women are stupid or incapable, But what God has told us, if we take these two texts together, is men and women naturally think in certain ways, and some of those ways are not the same. (laughs) Am am, am I just really blowing your mind here so far? (laughs) No, I'm not. We need to be aware of two kinds of differences in marriage, and one of those is male-female differences, and one of them is just the differences with two individuals. Now, here's the challenging part. God doesn't tell us what those differences are. God doesn't say men are like this and women are like that. 
when you read those books that you bought at the Christian bookstore, just go, wait a minute, back that train up, and let's go look at the Scripture. Because God doesn't say every man is this way and every woman is that way. I think by observation, we can, all, we can, we can make certain generalizations and just realize that, that women have certain tendencies along here. Men, you know, men kind of focus on their job and their career and all that kind of thing, and women are focused on the family. There's some of those generalizations, but whatever they are, it's your job to learn them. It's your job to learn them. Husbands, dwell with your wife according to understanding. Wives, learn to love your husband. Is it a difference between men and women? Is it a difference between two individuals? Um, I grew up in a certain household. My wife grew up in a different household. I grew up in a certain place. She grew up in a different place. I like certain things. She likes certain things. So when we got married, we're different people. Now, my job, my responsibility from God, not from her, my job from God is I need to figure that out. And either I'm a slow learner or it's a lifelong process. Okay? And, 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 and I say that just to say this. Don't stop learning. Don't stop learning. Keep trying to do better and better. Now let me, let me illustrate this with two examples from many years ago. The first one is from a wife who dragged her husband into counseling because they had a 10-year marriage and she was unhappy. And, uh, you know, this and that and this and that. And there wasn't adultery, there wasn't abuse, there wasn't, you know, any terrible things, but, but there also wasn't a really good close relationship. And she's, oh, you know, oh, yeah, going on. And... And, you know, when people tell me, you know, they give me a summary, my husband isn't loving. Oh, can you give me an example of that? So she said, well, you know, he has his own business. And, uh, you know, of course, she didn't tell me this, but I'll tell you, he was well off. They were well off. And uh, he has his own business. And on Christmas Eve, he's got to work. He's got to work up until you know, six o'clock, whatever it is. And so back in the day, the only stores that were open on Christmas Eve were 7-Eleven and Kmart. And she said, on the way home from working, he goes to 7-Eleven and he goes to Kmart and he buys me Christmas presents. Okay, now with this guy, honestly, I mean, within reason, money's no object. Not a problem, okay? Okay, so the guy does that. You kind of expect a stupid young guy to do that in his first year of marriage. How about in his second year? Or his third year? Or his fourth year? Or his fifth? Or sixth? Or seventh? Or eighth? Or ninth? Or tenth year when she is saying, I don't like it. What's the problem? The guy's smart. He's, he's a smart guy. He has a smart job. He has not set himself to say, you know what? Men and women are different. And it is more than the thought that counts. And this woman, is it 
cleaning my 6,000 square foot house and changing my baby's diapers every day. And what does my last minute shopping at Kmart tell her about my love for her? Okay, we're all here laughing. We're going, hey, buddy, it ain't rocket science. That's right, it ain't rocket science. So apply your heart to wisdom and say, it is my job. I mean, you do that the first year, okay. You do it the second year, okay. You, you should be getting that by the third year or yeah, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Apply your heart to learning. We could turn around and, and talk about uh, a couple who came in after many years of marriage. Tell me about your relationship. And the wife is sitting there going, he doesn't lead, he doesn't lead, he doesn't lead. She was enough of a Christian to know he's supposed to be leading, he's supposed to be leading. Husband's sitting there, kind of a quiet guy, you know. I sent him out the door. I, I thought, boy, I'm not sure what's going on here. And after a few days, I went, wait a minute. The guy is leading. Because I looked at this that they told me and that that they told me and certain things. I thought, the guy does lead. But she doesn't hear it. Because her model, her style is, and his style is calm, quiet voice. Brought him back together and I said, I, you know, I think you got something to figure out here. And they did. And they made progress. And it was a wonderful thing. Everybody's different. And you can get mad about it. Or you can say, God, help me to learn Help me to figure out. Help me to, help me to find a way to show love, to show care. Now, this is not, I, I am not trying to say that a wife gets to put up a list and say, unless you do these things, you're a lousy husband. And that a husband gets to put up a list and say, this is what you have to do. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about two people who are godly trying to live their lives and both of them saying, God, help me to know the best way I can to love this person and care for them and do what they really need, not just what they're desiring, but what they really need. God, love, God wants men to love and lead, but he doesn't assume that they know everything they need to know. And the same about women. Number two, so God expects husbands and wives to grow in awareness he expects us to grow in godliness now i'm going to ask you a question that i know you'll you'll answer in a different way but i'm going to ask it anyway what is god's goal for your life to glorify him that's right have you ever thought that maybe god also verbalizes that in some different ways here's a way that's really fascinating to me Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. Could we just say that God's goal for my life is to be righteous? We, we, we do glorify him, we do honor him through a righteous life. And so God's goal for my life is righteousness. This is set in motion when we believe in Christ. When, when, when we realize that we're a sinner, Christ is the Savior, we believe in Him, and He takes away the penalty of sin, and He takes away of the control of sin, and, and then uh, uh, throughout my life I develop righteousness by walking in obedience, and someday it'll be completed when I see Christ. 
This is what Paul meant when he said, I have not already attained to Christ's likeness. I'm not already perfect, but I'm pressing on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. I don't count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, here's where the rocket science comes in. If the target for the individual Christian is to be like Jesus, is it also the target for the husband and the wife? (laughs) Here's what I'm, you know... When we think, well, you know, I have to be godly over here, but when it comes to my husband or wife, you know, I'm just going to do what it takes to get the job done. We wouldn't think that way, would we? We wouldn't come to church and kind of put on that church face, or, or even in a certain degree of sincerity say, I need to serve the Lord, but when it comes to my husband or wife, I really don't have that responsibility. Godliness... It, 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 it's supposed to characterize our life inside the home and outside the home, in the church and out of the church. Is there an excuse for two people to coexist under a roof without becoming one through godly living? Is there an excuse for that? Now, think about the blessing of godliness. I think this is in your notes. And uh, the works of the flesh from Galatians 5, uh, 19 through 21, and then the, the, the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 to 23. If, let's just say that this is a description of a person, and this is a description of a person, which person do you want to be married to? <laughs> which, you know, I mean... It, it, that is so simple that it's, that it's a little bit silly. If you're unmarried, or if you've never been married, and you want to have a perfect marriage, then what you need to do is work at this character right here and seek someone who is trying to develop this character right here. I know that is so simple. And yet, what we often do as single people is we go out and we, we find someone and we, we kind of fall in love. Oh boy, that's a great person. How's their character? Well, you know, they, they got a couple of those, but some of those, but you know, I'm in love. Oh man. I think it'll be okay. Probably not. If you're already married, you've got to just say, God, help me to be more perfect. Help me to be like the Apostle Paul, who said, I am headed to be like Christ. Number three, God expects husbands and wives to grow in service. Now, I'm not talking about Christian service, uh, serving in the church. I'm talking about service like this. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. This is where marriage gets challenging. Uh, 
Companionship, that's fun. Sex, wonderful. Agape, laying down your life, a little tough. Easy, early on. It's tougher as the years go by. God expects us to be growing in this. One of the worst marriage stories I've ever heard happened years ago, and both these people are with the Lord now. There was a man who was a pastor, a woman who was a pastor's wife. Both their spouses died. And they found each other and got married. And everybody thought, this is the coolest thing. These people have traveled in the same circles. They've both served the Lord. This is going to be a great marriage. This is going to be a wonderful blessing for their golden years. We all thought it was a match made in heaven, and it could have been, but neither one of them had a mind to grow in service to one another. Do you know what people who knew them said? Oh, those two people were both the takers in their previous marriages. You know what that means? Some people characterize marriage this way. Every marriage has a giver and a taker. And those two people were both the takers, and then they got married, and there was nobody to give. Uh... In a Christian marriage, there should be two givers. Should be receivers, but givers and no takers. Because we need to be growing in our service to one another. One of the police departments that I served years ago, they, we had a new guy join the department, and uh, he had worked in another police department for 10 years. And uh, in our little four-man department, you know, they're glad to get somebody with experience in. And, and after he was there a while, the chief said to me, he doesn't have 10 years of experience. He has one year of experience, and he repeated it 10 times, which was a, a very nice way to say he's not that good of a cop. There's no room in the Christian life for resting on last year's accomplishment. You had a good marriage last year. Praise the Lord. Let's be better this year. Maybe you had a lousy marriage last year and it got restored. Praise the Lord. Now let's go beyond. You're a single person. You've really gotten your heart square with the Lord. Great. Now let's go beyond. Let's move forward and set our mind to grow in the Lord and build relationships that honor Him. Heavenly Father, Thank you for making it possible that we could have joyful, peaceful, long-term marriages that honor you and enrich us. Thank you for that. Father, I pray that you will use the time that we've dedicated yesterday and today to build relationships. May they be strengthened in our churches. May they be formed as people look to the future. May this be a place where people enjoy your blessing fully and honor you and draw others to you because they want to know that blessing also. Thank you for our time today. May you be honored as we fellowship and go home. May we go home and live 
what we've been talking about. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.